today. This is like the third year that we've done a Sports Sunday. It's just a great opportunity to honor young athletes and uh, to invite them to our church and to see what we're about. So we want to welcome you once again. Today I've really kind of focused the whole thing around this great comebacks. Everybody loves a great story. Everybody loves a comeback. Most of us really like an underdog. And there's something about cheering for the one that's really not expected to do very much. And, uh, you know, I've got a question. Have you ever felt like an underdog before? Like, man, I just, I'm not as big as the other person. Or I'm not as fast or I'm not as quick or I can't do the rings or I can't, whatever it is, you're just, uh, you, you just feel like you're always falling a little short. You're, you're kind of the underdog. Well, this morning we're going to look at four people in Scripture, four guys, and I think they have comeback stories. I think they have significance. I think they have application that speaks to our life about coming back from defeat. And, uh, and yet, sometimes we go down this dark corridor of defeat and failure, and we just feel like, you know, sometimes we're just going to quit. We're, we're just going to give up. Like, uh, you know, why would I, why would I do, want to do anything else? Well, I had the privilege of year, several years ago, before we started Christ Community, I met Dave Dravecki. I actually got to be on the executive committee and bring him into our city, and I got to spend time with him. And uh, Dave was a, a fascinating guy. Even, even my stepmom knew he was when I told her. She goes, oh, yeah, he's a pitcher for San Francisco. And I went, wow, man, you know. I'm like, and she could care less about sports. I thought it was pretty cool. But to tell the story a little best, I want you to look at the screen with me. And it's just a short clip about the life of Dave Dravecki, a, a man that was a champion athlete. When he came back one time, he had 12 standing ovations in one game. Watch the story of Dave Dravecki. Maybe you can remember it, or maybe you've never seen it. It's worthy of our time. Listen to the stories of the power of life over death. The stories of hope. This is your story. The first is the story of a giant. Dave Dravecki, the famous pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. A 21st round draft pick who fought his way up the ranks to national stardom. Growing up, I have two heroes. Sandy Koufax and Bobby Wood. They were left-handed pitchers. All I cared about as a little kid was I wanted to throw a baseball like they did. I would have to say he was a tremendous competitor. He had this tremendous desire to win. Some people are born with just gods of talent, but they don't get the God this much. And with David, David had this much, and Dave used it to the full extent. At the zenith of his amazing Major League mm -hmm. Odyssey, Dave's doctors noticed a strange lump forming. Finally, they said, okay, let's just get a check. And so we went to the doctor and, and had an MRI. We were in the waiting room waiting for the doctors to come back and talk to us. And outside of the room, we heard the doctors fooling around with the film, slapping it up on the thing. And then all of a sudden, the doctor said, oh my goodness, look at that tumor. It was cancer in his left arm, his pitching arm. And so the doctors came in and him. They believed he had a fibroid tumor at the base of his deltoid muscle. Um, they would have to remove it along with 50% of his deltoid muscle. The doctors said Dave Dravecki would never pitch again. But 10 months after the removal of cancer from his arm. So you don't ever use the word finish when you talk about Dave Dravecki because he never finished. He stood on the mound with Kansas State Park on August 10th, 1989. And he stood there in amazement. The magnitude of that night, it was unreal. It was like a, more, more like a World Series game, the seventh team in the World Series. And he got a stand ovation when he walked down by bullpen when he first started warming up. He got a stand ovation when he finished. 
base. You got a stand on base when they went to the mound. It was just incredible to sit there. I didn't really manage that game. I just sat there and all. They've returned to the mound to pitch eight electrifying innings for the Giants, leading them to victory. But then, five days later, on the mound against Montreal, Dave Dravecki threw the pitch for the rallying world. The sixth inning, you know, back out on the mound, and you know, I rear back to throw a fastball to Tim Raines, who's at the plate. And all of a sudden, as I let go of that pitch, my left arm snaps it. Here's the pitch, and Dravecki falls over. This incredible explosion in my left ear from releasing that fastball and my arm snapping it down. Wow, Dave Dravecki, something a little bit bigger than baseball. You know, when you reach the level of the major leagues, it's pretty big stuff. And then when you're a competitor like he is, I remember sitting with Dave over breakfast one morning, and I was asking about what all that was like, and then he started talking about his life in Christ. He just wanted to keep pointing to Jesus. And I remember him telling me, he goes, you know, the scripture talks about how we're wasting away but we're inwardly being renewed by day day by day and literally when i looked at him because of the amputation he was i mean his body had already started to atrophy and you know all that kind of thing and he was like but hey inwardly i'm being renewed i'm being strengthened i'm bigger than i've ever been he really became one of my heroes that day when i thought about him well this morning i wanted to look at scripture because dave dravecki is not in the scriptures i've looked but there's four guys that are the first one is Joshua now we know about be strong and courageous and those are the great words and then it goes and be very strong and courageous and you read Joshua and it just keeps pumping you up and firing you up to excel and to be strong and to be courageous in the Lord and then all the way over the 24th chapter as for me and my house we will serve the Lord I love the declarations of Joshua but also in, in the middle of that there's uh, there's some of the story that they have major victory and a matter of fact, they, get, they have such victory, they become overconfident, and overconfident turns to pride. Have you ever, kids, have you ever been on a championship team that was really, really good, and you really, really won a lot, like you won everything, and if you're not careful, that's the first blank to fill in your worship guide notes as pride sets in. I remember when I was playing Little League Baseball, Pastor Keith used to have a serious fastball when I was 12 years old. I don't know what happened. When I got 15, everybody started catching up with it. But at that point, I could whiff people. I'd strike people out, and I'd kind of laugh. And I'd, but I had this one team we always played. I played for Jenkins Brick. No, I couldn't wear that jersey today for various reasons. I was a little skinny 12-year-old. And then we played this team called Capital Fence. Oh, my goodness. Played them. They never lost. Like in two or three years that I spent in Little League, they never lost a regular season game. Can I just tell you, it just ain't fair. I remember one night I got up to pitch against them. And I would average like 13 strikeouts a game. So everybody go, oh, Keith's pitching. First guy I got up, I whiffed him. Second guy I got up, he got a hit. The third guy, I think he kind of yeah, did something, got on base. Fourth guy came up, friend of mine, Kenny Klein, still remembered. He stepped to the plate. I looked at my catcher. 
You know, it's like, I don't know what I was looking for. I only had one pitch. It was a fastball. I reared back, whoop, strike one. I thought, man, this is going to be good. Got up, ready. I said, here it comes. Whoo, heat was coming, man. I, I don't know how fast it was going, but for a 12-year-old, it was coming. Over the fence. Home run, Kenny Klein. They beat us that night. And that's the end of my baseball career. And then I got in my car, Dave Dravecki. I didn't tell him that story because he'd have been laughing too hard. But anyway, but here in, in the story of Joshua, they've had battle after battle, and they've gone, and they've won, and they've been victorious. And, uh, you know, in, over in Joshua, the seventh chapter, even talks about, hey, these guys, they, they won't be too much. We can handle them. And they just went out there and they did their own thing. And, man, they got slaughtered. The Lord had something he was trying to teach them and one of the things was this pride. So I want you to remember that word. Circle that word pride there in your notes today. Pride will get you in trouble every time. If you're an athlete, if you're just walking through life where it is, God wants to know that we're going to suffer a devastating defeat when we let pride consume us, when we let pride overcome us. Pride's just not a good thing. Sometimes, you know, we find ourselves devastated. We find ourselves defeated. We find ourselves running from the enemy. And God wants us to face the enemy. He wants us to run into the enemy in his mighty strength. That's why Ephesians 6 says, put on the armor of God. So this pride thing is so powerful. Just read the story of Joshua. Read about the 7th chapter. And then you'll probably go to the 8th chapter. And you'll probably just start reading through the book. If you did that today, and that's all you got out of this whole message was, hey, I had a hot dog, and I had this, and I had that, and I read about Joshua. Then, I'm, hey, you're on your way. It's a good story. But the men got routed there at Ai. It was a tough thing, even though the Israelites had been so pumped about what they had done and how victory had seemed so sweet. But there's a passage that's going to come up on the screen. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. The Apostle Paul has some great words. He goes, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful, least or that you don't fall. You think, man, there's no way, baby, I'm not going to fall. <laughs> Those are the very ones that fall. Because they begin to trust in themselves, in their flesh. And in this flesh, there is no good thing. It's only the spirit of the risen Christ. And the church said, and your flesh is going to fail you. You said, but Keith, if you knew what I, who I am and what I do and how much money I make and how smart I am and how good I am and how righteous and all that, I'm like, oh man, you're set up for failure. You're going to fall. So it's a great scripture. So God's people today, I'm trying to hammer this point because this point is so important. We still battle pride, just like the people did there in Joshua and all through Scripture. The second point is this, a spirit, a state of prayerlessness. I don't have a Scripture for it, but the principle's there. They begin not to inquire of the Lord. They determine in their own selves that we'll do this. That was it. I'll do it. Anytime you get the word I in there, did you know this word pride? What's in the middle of the word pride? I. And in this word when you begin to just push Christ out and you elevate self, you're always in trouble when you're trying to do it on your own. So we learn here from Joshua that he couldn't do it by himself because he failed, and he failed miserably. And it's a recipe for defeat. It's a prescription for disaster, pride, prayerlessness. Let me beg you today, pray, and pray much. And pray often. I'm not saying, oh, no, they'll weigh me down to sleep if I should die before I wake. No, not that. Oh, God is great. God is good. No, not that. Just get to know him. Just talk to him like you would your mom or your dad. 
But learn to listen to him. A whole nother message in itself to talk about prayer. The second guy I love. He's found over in the book of Judges. Can you turn over there with me? Over in the book of Judges, it's over on page 244 in my Bible. Probably not going to help you a lot, but it might be close. And there's this great guy in Scripture. This guy, Fred, he made you look little, Daddy. You were a small guy. And ain't nothing small about Fred. I love Fred. You know what? You know what our church calls him? I love it. They go, I remember one day a little boy walked, and I told Fred this. I told him, uh, Jessica, when you were having brain surgery, I was telling this to his mom and dad, and they started laughing with me. A little boy came to me one day and says, Pastor Keith, Pastor Keith, I got to find him. I got to find him. So who are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for the brown hulk. Can you tell me where the brown hulk is? I can't find the brown hulk. And I stopped, and I had to think for a minute. I went, the brown hulk. I go, we got a brown hulk. Man, he's the hulk. His name's Fred. Love Fred. But Fred ain't as strong as this guy. This guy. He slayed people. You ought to read this story, man. It's really interesting. Now, hey, this ain't a chick flick, guys. You know, you can get into the story of Judges. You know, he's killing people and he's wiping out enemies and all that kind of stuff. But here, uh, he ends up, though, because he is seduced or he's brought into this woman. And she, she gets his attention. And he's probably had lots of women over his days and girlfriends. But Delilah is the one. You don't want to name your little girl Delilah. Can I just, go ahead and write that in your notes. You don't name your little girl Delilah. You just, it's kind of like naming her Jezebel. You just, just certain names in the Bible, you don't want to know, hey, this is Delilah. Look, run, okay? But she gets his attention. What I know about Samson, he's the mightiest man of Israel. He's the hero of his people. He's the deliverer of the nation. And he's God's man. And God's using Samson. He was raised in a godly home. He had a godly mom and he had a godly dad. But Samson had some setbacks. And one of the things that I've learned that was a setback for him, he, he had flaws in his life. He had things that put him down, and yet he kept playing things in his mind. And his life ends up being a waste with all this strength and all this energy and all this ability that God had given him. He wasted his life, and he finds himself in a really bad place, and he got, you know, has his eyes gouged out. And then eventually he gets led around by a little 10-year-old boy. I mean, here's this big, strapping, hulk, muscle-bound, you should be a, a slayer of people, of armies. And now he's been reduced. There's not much to him. And, and they make fun of him. If you'll just begin to read through the chapters of um, Judges, over about 15, chapter 16, and then, you know, they tie his arms to the long wooden pole, and they say, push, Samson, push. And they push, and he does this thing, and people say, push harder, you donkey. And they taunt him, and they just make fun of him, kind of like Jesus when they taunted him on the cross when he gave his life for us they just mocked him and here was this guy not like jesus but he had had great power and and yet he succumbs to this woman she's basically you know she's trying to find where do you have your strength where do you have your strength and he plays with her and he teases her and there's riddles and there's all kind of stuff and basically you know he's and then she thought they would come in to get him and you know he would snap the ropes and all that and he he wouldn't have any business with it but if you look down there Look at chapter 16. Look over at verse 17. Because Look at verse 15. Let's back up. Because he doesn't tell her the truth, Delilah pouts. See, there it is in Scripture. She begins to have a pity party, and she pouts. Oh, Samson, you don't love me, because he'd fallen in love with her. Oh, you don't really love me. You don't tell me about your strength. And she just wore him down and wore him down and wore him down. Look at verse 17. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut. I'm a Nazarite. I took a vow, and I can't cut my hair. So what happens? 
He goes, they're off. And they come in, and he has no strength when he goes to do what he's always done. There's no supernatural, powerful strength that comes out of this man, Samson. And he gets defeated, he gets beat up, and he gets his eyes gouged out, and it just becomes a kind of a kiss of death. It's just kind of a tough thing, and Delilah's tricked him, and he's been deceived, and he's hurting, and, you know, this guy had for 20 years kept Philistines at bay, and he had been their warrior. He had been their conqueror. They loved Samson, and they would cheer him. And now he's been reduced to a blind guy that's had his owls tortured, and he's just, he has no you know, incredible strength. And it's just, it's really a pitiful story. And if it just ended there, you go, man, that's pretty sad because she convinced him to reveal the secret of her power. But the story doesn't end there. You, you move on, you, you, you're there in Judges. And I move on down there in verse 26 and following verse 28. And it says, And then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. He cries out now. I don't think this is a spiritual prayer. I don't really think he has the right motives, but he is crying out to God. He is realizing there's no strength in me. That's a good thing. But I really think he's crying out in revenge. And yet somehow his prayer seem to stop the God of heaven, and God is faithful, and he begins to do something. But I want you to back up and see this quickly, the box, the two flaws of Samson. Fill them in. He never appreciated the spiritual heritage that he had. He had been raised under Jehovah, under God. He had godly parents. He had a heritage. Many of you have a godly heritage, or your, or your grandparents were believers, or your parents were believers, and there's a heritage to celebrate, and we need to pass it on to the next generation. But the other thing is, he couldn't control his emotions. He would fly off in a rage. He'd fly off in, in anger, and it was just a tough thing, and it was just hard on him, and he, he got defeated, defeated. But I want you to write down a verse in the side. Proverbs 16, verse 32. Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper, than one who takes a city. God is clear that he wants you and I to be people surrendered under the bridle of his son, the Lord Jesus. And he wants us to be controlled by his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he wants to take control of our language. Athletes, let me tell you today, you're on the ball field. And let me tell you, a lot of times they go, oh, you know, that's what, that's what athletes do. That's what coaches do. They cuss. They yell profanities. They don't have to, do they, church? They can be controlled by the Spirit of God, and they can control their words, and they can control their anger. I mean, have you ever been with a coach and they just threw stuff at you? Well, I hope not. Okay, if they're here, don't, don't, don't say, hey, coach, hey, you remember when you did that to me Friday night? No, don't, that would probably not be a good confession here on Sports Sunday. But ne never learning to rule his spirit. He, he's just at a really tough place, and, and yet they want Samson to perform. But Samson, he can't perform. He can't do anything, man. His, his strength's been zapped. But as you read this story, I'm just trying to give you the highlights of it. God does answer the prayer. He does come near. And if you look down there in verse 30, right, look at 29. It says, And then Samson put his hands on the pushing against them with both hands, and he prayed, Let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people than he when he died than he did during his entire lifetime. 3,000 people fell that day. But in the midst of the rubble was this strong man, Samson. But he made a brief comeback to really do some things. But So you're looking at Joshua, 
And then you look at Samson. But I want to move it a little farther here. I want to move over to the New Testament. And I want to move to a guy named Peter. I, I love Peter. I love reading about Peter. Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter's always getting in trouble. Peter, Peter's just, uh, Peter's just, you know, I mean, he ends up preaching a heck of a sermon and God uses him in profound ways. And you read about Peter in the gospels and it's just, it's, it's marvelous what he does. But what happens is before he gets there, he has this, I, I just write, I didn't, I didn't leave a blank. I should have. Peter had a, a spirit of denial. He denied Christ. He denied Jesus. He, he elevated his own self. That would be a story for all of us today, maybe that are athletes, that we have to realize that it needs to be about Christ. It doesn't need to be about us, and we need to elevate him and not ourselves. So Peter, you know, he's denying the one that gives him life, the one that would redeem him, the Lord. You know, in Peter, the 22nd chapter, if you turn over to Luke 22 with me, and you start there about 54 verse 54 this is this is a tough story he gets brought down by a teenage girl listen to what the gospel says Twenty-two fifty-four. so they arrested him and they led him to the high priest's home and peter followed at a distance he couldn't even he was a coward he couldn't even be up close he just kind of followed off in the shadows and the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat around it and peter joined them there and a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him and finally she said this man is one of jesus followers but peter denied it circle the word denied it woman he said i don't even know him and after a while someone else looked at him and said you must be one of them no man i'm not peter retorted verse 59 about an hour later someone else insisted this must be one of them because he's a galilean too but peter said man i don't know what you're talking about and immediately while he was still speaking the rooster crowed and at that moment the lord turned and looked at peter and suddenly the lord's words flashed through peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning you will deny three times that you even know me and peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly you know, maybe we don't have the situation quite like Peter where we get to stand face to face with Jesus. But we do deny him sometimes. But what I do admire about Peter, Peter got broken over his sin. He realized he denied the master and he went out and he repented and he wept and he was broken over his sin. It's a great principle for us. But after not once, not twice, three times he denies Jesus. I mean, tough situation. But then you go on in the scripture and Jesus is going to talk to him in public again because here Peter has denied Jesus publicly. Again, Jesus is going to ask him a series of questions that Peter's a little uncomfortable with. Peter's not really thrilled about what Jesus is saying. If you look there in the book of John, the 21st chapter, just look there with me quickly. John 21 in 15 and following listen to these words after breakfast jesus asked simon peter simon son of john do you love me more than these it's like a, why are you asking me this yes lord peter replied you know i love you then feed my lambs jesus told him and jesus repeated the question simon son of john do you love me yes lord peter said you know i love you then take care of my sheep jesus said so here it is jesus is telling him to do something to love him or do you love me and the response is yes lord well then feed my lambs and take care of my sheep 
Peter did, and then later when you read about the story in the life of Peter, you see where he preaches with great power and great anointing, and God uses him. But God first gets rid of his guilt. You know, I think there was probably some guilt that he struggled with for a long time. I bet Peter would probably go, you know, am I a disciple or am I a traitor? Had to make a pick. Had to make a choice. And one time he was a traitor. Ah, Peter. I like Peter. Peter comes back. Peter's going to prove to be my man. Peter's going to prove to be bold. Peter's going to prove to be unashamed. Peter's going to prove to be a disciple of Jesus. Here we are a few thousand years later, and we're reading about Peter's account and his love for Christ and how he was faithful and what he did. Peter becomes one of my heroes in the New Testament. Yeah, a lot of people want to slam Peter, give him a hard time, but Peter, listen to this, Peter saw the enormity of his sin, and he turned, and he saw how great Jesus was. He saw how great grace was, and he responds to grace. You know, that's what it is for us this morning. Do we respond to grace? You know, the truth will set you free, but sometimes it's going to hurt you first. The truth will set you free. Write it down. The truth will set you free. That's what Jesus said. But it might hurt first as it sets you free. See, this wasn't an easy pass for Peter, but Peter passed the test. Peter's my boy. Peter overcomes, man. Peter understands. He trusts in the Lord. He has a new mission. He has a new sacrifice. Matter of fact, when you read, Peter says, I'm not even worthy to be crucified upside right. They crucified him upside down. Even in my death, Peter said, I will glorify the Lord. And Peter did. Man, Peter, so Joshua came back. Samson came back in a way, if you will. Peter comes back, but here it is. Hold on, don't miss it. Almost there. Preacher's almost finished, and you're going, good, we're going to get hot dogs in a minute. We are. Hold on. Jesus. He's the ultimate comeback. If you've been here on Easter Sunday, I would have just bragged on him. I brag on him every Sunday. Somebody one day said, Pastor, that's all you do is talk about God's Son. you always talking about Jesus. Hey, do you got something else? I go, nope, not worth really talking about. I boast in the one that redeemed me from my sins. I boast in the one who is life and is the resurrection. All else falls pale compared to King Jesus. You know what's amazing today? We, you know, you think about it. You could be a great coach. You could be a great athlete. Hey, when I was 12 years old, knew how to throw. I learned how to throw a submarine. I could throw that pitch, man. And you know what? About as quick as I set a record, a record got broke. Matt Bostick world champion two times not one time he did it two times like an athlete mad bostic you know what he told me the other day hey keith i hadn't told you this my world record got broken how about oh we were dejected and we wept bitterly and we cried in my study the other day we did not you know what it is when you set a world record, you have a certificate, and he'll always be a world champion. Just he didn't have the world record, but just for a season, now somebody else has got it. And Matt even prays for that guy. Matt even encourages you, like, man, he must be a better Christian than I am. Probably so. Isn't that great? You're saying, well, whatever I do in this life, it doesn't matter whatever you do in this life. Somebody's going to forget you. They're going to move on. They're going to throw dirt in your face. And as, you know, as, Tony, as uh, Tony Capolo said one time, he said, man, we always want titles and testimonies and accolades and awards. He said, but the truth is, bro, he says, when it's all said and done, they're going to throw dirt on it. They're going to go in the house and eat potato salad, and they're going to go on. 
Now, I know I just kind of minimize death, and I don't mean to. Death's a big deal. But Jesus is bigger. He's the resurrection. So Peter fails, and all these people fall, but not Jesus. A new day is dawning in your life. When you surrender to Christ, when you give your life to him, every day is a new day. You, you make a comeback. See, they thought they had Jesus. They did a jig. They crucified him. They laid him in a tomb. They buried him. Done with him. Rabboni is dead. Rabbi is gone. Jewish boy won't come up again. Over with. Mm-mm-mm. You weren't listening. He said, you might destroy the temple, but I'm going to raise the temple in three days. And on the third day, he arose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And he rules at the right hand of God the Father forever and ever and ever. And one day, he will come again for the church of the living Christ. Amen. That's awesome. You're like, man, y'all a tough crowd. You should have put your hands together. That was something. I just amen myself. That's what my brother said. That's right. Jesus he comes back. He overcomes death. It's huge. So there's something shaking in your life. There's a temporary defeat in your life. We all get defeated. But you don't have to stay down. You can come back because of the presence and the power of Christ. Even when it's over. Even then, it's still not over, says Jesus. Somebody says, ah, oh, you're through. That marriage is over. That business is over. That dream's over. That life's over. No, it's not. Did Jesus say it's over? If Jesus didn't say it's over, it's not over. In Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is a Christ, he's a new creation. The old's gone. The old's dead. The old's behind you. The new has come. You become new in Christ. And that's what we've come today is just to declare that Jesus is Lord and he loves you and he's got a plan for you and he wants to invade your life. And what I'd say to you, young person, you're sitting there listening and go, man, this is a different church I've ever been to. I like that music, though. I ain't too crazy about you. You, you know, Matt, I loved old Matt up here. Matt's up here and he's spitting. I said, man, good company. I've been teaching him well. I, that's all I do is I spit up here a lot, right? I'm just watching air bubbles fly right now. But you know what? I just want to tell you about Jesus. You know, today I'm just believing there's a little boy, there's a little girl, there's a teenager, there's a mom, there's a dad, there's a grandparent, and they're hearing about Christ, maybe in a way they can understand. And today just might be your day of salvation to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Just might be. Esther would say, for such a time as this, that you came to Christ community on Ryan Road to have a sports Sunday and you left here with the eternal address to change in Jesus Christ. So Jesus overcomes and he is victorious. And Easter basically means I can't do it alone. I just can't do it alone. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's finished. It is finished. It's over. It's over. But I shall return. That's what Jesus said. I'll return. How many believe this morning that Jesus Christ will come back to this earth as he said he would? Yeah, he will. You're saying, do you know when? Oh, there have been some dummies that have tried to predict that. In 1988, a guy said 88 reasons Jesus Christ will come this year, or maybe 188 reasons. He sold a lot of books. 1989 came. He wrote a new book, a new book, 189 Reasons Christ Will Come Again. People bought that book. In 1990, he did not write another book. Jesus said it this way. I don't even know when I'm coming. The Father 
when he appoints a time, he'll send me and I'll come be ready. So we just want you ready. So this morning you heard just gospel that Christ loves you, Christ died for you, Christ invites you to participate, to dine with him and him with you. Christ wants to invade your life. He wants to come in, clean you up. You know what, I'm, you know what the good news is? You come just like you are, broken, defeated, discouraged, despondent, tore up, messed up. God loves broken people. Don't you love our God? He don't want you to get fixed up and come. I got people all the time, you know, Pastor, I'm going to come out to your church one day when I quit drinking. I'm going to come out there one day when I quit doing this. Hey, you know, I'm going to come one day when I get it all together, I'm going to show up. Dude, we're going to be in heaven and you ain't showing up yet. Just come as you are. Jesus said, for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's gospel. I want to pray with you at that point. Can I do? Bow your heads with me this morning. Lord Jesus, I'm so glad that you made a comeback of comebacks. And as great as the story of Dave Dravecki was to come back and pitch Major League Baseball and then to ultimately snap his arm and to be knocked out of baseball, but he has overcome through you, Christ Jesus. That's his story. Lord, I pray that it would be our story that we would surrender to you, we would begin a relationship with you, and we would say, Jesus, I'm making a comeback. I'm going to make a comeback from who I am, from my sin. I'm going to overcome through you. Jesus Christ, I open my heart, and I realize that I'm a sinner, and I fall short, I miss the mark, so I need grace. I need the blood today. Would you clean me? Would you come and cleanse me by your blood? Would you cover my sin by your blood, Jesus, and find me fit for heaven by your righteousness? Come into my heart and be my Savior. Save me. Jesus, would you come be my Lord? Would you come be my king? Would you come be my boss? I give you my heart this Sunday morning. I don't know much about you, but what I do, I give to you today. I want to follow you.